Good people and fellow students, welcome to the 11th episode of All That Gas, a space for performance, craft, and showbiz, when news and reviews will be flowing from music, film, content, and all that yes. So, this is the second part of a two-part special with which we covered the Durban International Film Festival with a special guest, Kibari Wanjuguna, who happens to be my business partner as well as a filmmaker. If you want to check out part one, just go to episode 10. And in that, we talk about various panels that happened within the festival, as well as three films, which we both watched together, or at least which we both watched at the festival, being A Guide to Dining Out in Nairobi, Belia, and Uradi. And now this episode is now going to be solely focused on our favorite movies within the Durban International Film Festival. So if you're looking for um, conversations about world cinema from Kyrgyzstan to Korea to South Africa to America, this is definitely an episode for you. Strap in and enjoy. Thank you so much for giving us your time and I hope you enjoy part two of the Def Special. So for this specific section now what we're going to be doing is ranking our favorite films that we watched within the festival. Since we've already covered three films in length, if one of those films are within that category, we now have to kind of just swap it out. Mention if, if it is if one of these films is your favorite or your second favorite, mention that it is and then explain what is now in its place. So what is your number two film that you'd watch during this? So I first have to do mention that A Guide to Dining Out in Nairobi was my favorite film. So anything I'm mentioning now is number three and two. Everything, anything you're mentioning now is number three and two. Practically, because that was my favorite film, hands down. And actually, Uradi sits between, so it's like number four and number two, actually. Because Uradi is my third favorite and a guy to dining out in nairobi is my favorite but we've already talked about that so i'll talk about the other two films that i really enjoy but just your second and since he's mentioned that belia was my second favorite film purely just by how it took me by surprise and the novelty of it um i really thoroughly enjoyed it and dining is an honorable mention for me so it's not within my top two or top three but i believe it's directly at number four when do do we talk about honorable mentions or? we'll talk about honorable mentions before we mention the number one so okay. what is your number two so my number two is a movie called ala kachu or take and run it's a it's a movie from kyrgyzstan a kyrgyz film it involves uh i think let's call it she's just finished high school and she goes to the capital um of kyrgyzstan which i believe is bishkek she goes there for education and she gets kidnapped and forced into marriage. So it's the story of her being taken and the, the take and run is her being taken and running. And once she has been kidnapped, her life and what it becomes. <laughs> Bishkek, 
So the reason why I not resonated, but I resonated with this film is because over the last few years, whether it's listening to podcasts or reading, I have heard stories about kidnapping in places like, you know, Niger and it might happen somewhere in the Indian subcontinent, but I cannot be sure. But I've heard stories about women who are kidnapped and forced into marriage and how once they've been kidnapped and forced into marriage, they literally have no recourse. And how even in real life, your family can literally come and ratify the kidnapping and be like, yeah, no, we're cool with this. Seeing a visual representation of this story, which I have heard of time and time again, was quite jarring to see, I guess. Yeah. And the acting was fantastic. I really enjoyed the acting, especially the main character and her friend from the city. Her friend from the city was literally labeled. I don't, let me say where the village where they come from, her friend who went to the city, basically labeled a slut because she's not married. That's it. Done nothing wrong. Just not married. Yeah. Right? And her mom is the shame of the village because she went to go get educated. <laughs> so her, the main character and her friend and a little bit of the guy who kidnaps her. I like, I was watching this and you can, you can actually see everything you're describing sounds so like, I know it's real. It's real. Like this, but it's, <laughs> And I know these people, I shouldn't say I know these people, but I know these people, but it's just, it, the description, it's so depressing. So, so that's what I'm saying. To be able to see a, a, a really well, it was a great representation visually for me to actually see how that world is and to see how both sides, the, the kidnappees and the kidnappers, how do you get into this? What motivates this? What's the culture behind it? And, you know, it is. And the thing is, it's a film from Kyrgyzstan, but the story is not lim- is not tied to that area. You just have to put it within a conservative, a deeply conservative area. Ex- very deeply conservative. And religious. And no, no, not just religious, but a society which has almost no rights um, for women. Yes, especially in making choice and decision-making, where the decisions are made on your behalf. So watching a film like that can now make you even start understanding how you can be in a situation like in Pakistan where you you have honor killings not getting prosecuted. Yeah. Watching that film, I got to be, got to see that system. I guess maybe a guy to dining out was good for me because he was lighthearted. <laughs> because every other <laughs> film I watched was <laughs> like he was insane. And I, 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 I ranked that as my fourth. Um, I mean, it's my second favorite outside of the ones we've already discussed. And if you do have a chance to watch it, I'd really recommend it. It's a short film. It's about 30 to 40 minutes. Um, Remind us the name of this Kyrgyzstan film? Ala Kachu, Take and Run. 
if you do not know how to spell it, the spelling will be within the description of the podcast. Now, as you were speaking, I also realized that this film, that my second, the film I'm placing second, is actually fourth. Because I'm actually going to put Guide third. My second place film is a South African film called What Did You Dream? And this is a film which is written and directed by Karabo Ledicha. And it's a film which is set in 1990. We're going into the townships in 1990 in Atridgeville. These three cousins have gone to visit their grandma and their grandfather is sick. This man has cancer and it kind of looks like this man is literally on his deathbed. When we see him, the only time we see him is in, he's in his bed, he's lying, just sleeping. And there's like, there's a bucket of vomit there. And this girl kind of is just feeding, is going to give him food. And that's kind of the main interaction that we're, that we're given with him. What's happening within this film is that Every day, I'm not sure if it's every day, but every week there's a Chinese lottery that happens. You pick one number between 1 and 49, and if your number, I'm not sure actually between 1 and what, because it didn't specify, but you pick one number, and if you win that number, you then win the, 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 the prize. So it's a thing between these aunties and these kids to kind of, they'll ask the kid, what did you dream about? So, so that we can kind of see within that dream, what number kind of can we pull to see if we can get a lucky number to win the lottery? It unpacks a lot within the subtext without actually saying much in terms of the grief that this grandmother has to have. Having grandkids who are there but having to kind of maintain a, a sense of not even cheerfulness, but being a grandmother whilst knowing her partner is potentially passing away. But also just the the anxiety of being in 1990. Like one of the one of the interesting things which one of the characters was talking about was that freedom feels heavy. They don't know what freedom is, and this thing that's coming feels heavy. So it's a slice of life film. So there is no great drama in it there's no great comedy we're just with these characters and it's depicting a very specific point in time and using a lot to kind of talk about the anxieties performances in this are fantastic the little girl is played by Latabo Mpoko and she is a revelation and the thing which I didn't mention about her is of the three cousins all of the cousins the other two cousins are able to dream and she's not been able to dream for a while so the whole point of the thing called being called what did you dream is that she's trying to find a way to kind of dream again because she believes if she can dream, she can get the number that she needs to then kind of change the situation. And she's really only doing this because she can see how depressed her grandmother is about the current situation. It's a very complex film, but it doesn't feel deep when you're watching it, if that makes any sense. And what I enjoyed about it was just that complexity of a film which is very, very simple in its premise. It's just 
can we get this lottery number? We're within a very unique, specific point in time, and we're just watching these characters live and be within that time. The pacing of it was was really nuanced, and I enjoyed it for that fact. But in terms of drama, it it does not compare <laughs> to what you just described. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> because my chest. <laughs> My chest is still caved in from the description that you were kind of given from, from your film. But What Did You Dream was definitely my runner-up, not counting the short films that we, we have spoken about. And I'm 100% sure this film will be on a Showmax or a Netflix or something within the next nine months. So when it does come out, I probably will remind you guys again about it. Do definitely check it out. It is by Karabo Ledicha, written and directed, and I think it was a really beautiful film. So now, give me your top film, but if you have any shout-outs, so any films which you think were really, really great in terms of your recommendations, you can name them, but then then give us what was your favorite film, your top film of the festival. So the one, there's two shout-outs I want to give. Both of them are short films as well. The one was a short film from Egypt called Tuk Tuk, and Tuk Tuk follows a lady who decides to take over her brother's Tuk Tuk business, which is a complete Tuk Tuk being a rickshaw, you know, the three-legged bike. Yeah. She takes over her brother's business after her husband disappears in the middle of the night to try to get to Europe. Because this is the thing that happens crossing the Mediterranean. Yeah. It's her in this male-dominated world and how she navigates it. The reason why I wanted to give it a little bit of a special mention and it's kind of the same reason I'll give my other film is that there was so much story there that the short film had been made to give like notice to something which is happening in Egypt to the women there. But it also felt like it was a piece of a very nice feature film. Yeah. So they could actually make an entire film. Expanded. Expanding because the woman's character had so much about her because every interaction she had, whether it was with... um. Her mom, her brother, her kids. This lady, there's a very rich character in there. Followed by her husband and his motivations. So I feel like the short film was great in the way it was. But it also felt like we're in the middle of a feature. Yeah. So I hope that some other people can watch that film and get that same feeling I got. And maybe get that movie made into something. Into a full feature. Into a full feature. The other one was a three-minute short called Stray. It's just a little retelling of the story of the Pied Piper. You know, the Pied Piper that comes at night would play his pipe and the kids would follow. Yeah. So it literally feels like a scene in the middle of a horror movie. Once a year, I think, the parents have to make sure that the kids sleep with earmuffs or earplugs so that the Pied Piper doesn't take them away. And it's what happens once the mom falls asleep. So it's three minutes. It's like a scene from a horror film. I also would like to see a fully fleshed out stray. We get to see the monster in this three minute short. And the monster is just interesting. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting monster. I want to see more this monster on telly. Yes. So those are my two um, special mentions. Okay. And my two special mentions... Uh... Okay, so my problem is most of the films, I think besides 
two of the dozen films that I watched, I think there were only three which I didn't enjoy. So everything else for me is kind of a special mention, but I know one of them I'm going to be speaking about on Sunday, so I won't mention it. But there were two animations which I thoroughly enjoyed. One being Colorful, which is a Korean short film. And the basic premise of this is that you have this like, I'm not sure how old she is, but she's like this eight-year-old girl who finds out or figures out that her dog is colorblind and then creates uh, glasses that can make the dog see color. So it's just following us with this little scientist girl who's just literally trying to make a dog be able to see what she sees. And it is as cute and as heartwarming as what that premise is. Like when I finished watching the movie, I was like, oh, like I was in it. It was cute. It got the job done. And the other one is a South African one, which is called Shaka Inkosi Yamakosi. So this is animation done by, executively produced by Manzini Zungu, who also directed it, and Ayanda Boroto and Terry Petto were producers and it's essentially telling us the story um it's a parable of shaka zulu so we have this kid who's getting bullied he's running away and he decides that he doesn't want to go to school anymore so that he doesn't have to deal with these bullies his grand then tells him the story of shaka zulu and when she's telling him the story of shaka zulu we then actually see reenactment of Shaka Zulu and Nandi and all of those characters in animation. And the other film which I would really like to shout out is Lindella Under Lockdown, which was essentially a documentary that was seven minutes long. And all it did was there's this, um, I can't call it a camp. It's kind of like a camp, but a bigger camp. So when refugees come to come into this country, they're all taken to a place called Lindella, right? It's a deportation facility. A deportation facility, right? So within lockdown, this deportation facility just quarantined and wasn't letting any of the people go. So it's following this. Um, the 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 thing is is giving us a perspective of what was actually happening. There was a person within the deportation facility who had a cell phone who was communicating with his brother and or cousin who was just, all he was trying to do was get his cousin out and we're just understanding what the conditions were like for the people within Lindella under lockdown. I think it was just very short, quite hiring, but f- filled with information. It was produced and directed by Cicle Slope and those would be my shout outs. And now that we've done our shout outs, what was your favorite film, your top film at Durban International Film Festival 2021? For the one or two people um, in your audience who actually know me, they might not be surprised that I would pick something which is both historical and has like connections and significance. So my favorite was a documentary called The Sitter. It's a documentary from the USA and it's about a specific moment in time so just to give some context, the biggest show on TV in the from pra- practically from the 60s leading up to the 90s was The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And Johnny Carson, you know, he'd, he'd have guests over. He basically, I think, pioneered the late night talk show. I don't have the information, He's but I must say yes. He was one he of was the a, big... Yeah, he might have been the second or third host of The Tonight Show, but he, he hosted it. He is a, he's a legendary figure within it. Yes. So his show was normally, he'd come in, have guests, kind of like the Graham Norton show. You know, okay, not Graham Norton, but it was always very surface level. And in 1968, in the middle of 
the civil rights movement. For one week, he allowed Harry Belafonte to host the show. Seven days. Harry Belafonte hosted The Tonight Show for seven days. From New York, The Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carter. And now, here's fabulous Harry Belafonte. Here he comes. Wait a minute. Harry Belafonte hosted a week of The Tonight Show? What? What? How did I not know this? Harry Belafonte takes an existing white institution and he turns it into something that represents his world. There are many sides to Harry Belafonte. Singer, actor, activist. Harry had an agenda and he had the people to back it up. What do you have in store for us this summer? I feel that we are in the midst of the most critical period in our nation. You see how pivotal this week was. That was the most revolutionary move that mainstream television could have done at the time. Good night. Thank you for being with us. So for con- context of people who don't know who Harry Belafonte is, who is Harry Belafonte? Harry Belafonte was a musician, a civil rights activist. Actually, not was. He is still a civil rights activist because... I mean, I think he was marching just last year or the year before for for gay rights, and he, and you know, he he marches, he still marches to date, and the man must be ninety. Yeah, <laughs> but he's also um, one of the most successful Jamaican American musicians who is has the moniker of being the king of calypso. Yes. So he is a. Not only is he an activist, but he was a very popular musical musician figure within the sixties. Yes, he was very popular, and he used he used his music as a way. Actually, uh, um, for those of you who the the song which you guys might know him is like the Banana Boat song, so Deo mi Deo. Daylight come and we don't wanna go home. Yes. I think Jason Derulo did a a, a cover. No, he he sampled, he sampled that song. It. And what song was it? Oh, <laughs> the name of this uh, Jason Derulo. Um, it's, if you know Jason Derulo, he sampled the song in the song "Don't Want to Go Home." So yes, back to you. Yes. So the sit-in now is about this one week, which Harry Belafonte got to take the show, which. I mean, parents used to let their kids stay up at night to watch The Tonight Show. So it was a very, it was a, let's call it a kid-friendly show. Family-friendly. Family-friendly. Here comes this this guy who's been given an opportunity to host the show. A black man hosting late night in the 60s. That actually sounds like a revelation to Not me. Not just in 1968. Yes. Specifically. Some of his guests included Nipsey Russell, Martin Luther King. Nipsey who? Russell. So wait, does, is Nipsey Hussle a man, a, a, yes. a, who's Nipsey Russell? <laughs> <laughs> Nipsey Russell was a, was a comedian. Uh, he also was a poet and he was active from the sixties through to, let's say the eighties. I think he even did some game show hosting and stuff like that, but not just him. Martin Luther King was on the show. Robert Kennedy, he was able to bring a panel of the blackest, the, some of the most influential. Aretha, I believe, also performed 
um during that week this is just uh blackity black 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 blackity black. black 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 and so the reason why this is just my personal opinion is that the reason why a lot of this stuff doesn't come out is because america has got a very very amazing superpower of wiping out some of the progress they make it's like every time you hear a story you, you're surprised that how did we miss this yeah and a lot of the people who literally cover journalistically we're learning about the sit-in in the last like two, three years. So it's it's a shock to the system that this week, which defined or which helped the civil rights movement, no one knew about, but it also created the template for what we have today as our late night talk shows. Back then, talk shows and comedy, I mean, talk shows was comedy. That and politics did not mix. You would have your stars go to these shows and the politicians would go to the news. Or they have a different yeah, place. It, it was church and state. Yes. And having a guy like Martin Luther King sit in front of an audience and just sounds like an ordinary guy. And you just looking at this dude, not in front of a podium trying to sell you something. Just him being him. Humanizing. Humanizing. That week actually kind of created a template for what we have today. Whether it's The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, you know, stuff like that. So watching The Sit-In, which is about an hour and a half, um, no, hour 17 minutes, was a great documentary because you got to see just that moment in time, how it came to be, and how it influences today. And yeah, it's it's just great to see, to learn something new, something you something so important and significant that you didn't know about. Yeah. See, I feel like I missed that. <laughs> this man is giving and 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 I believe this speaks to the the magic and the on the other side the the downfalls of film festivals. Sorry, of a great film festival. You watch greatness, but you also miss out. <laughs> <laughs> it's because different things attract. Like when you're reading the synopsis or whatever, you know, a yeah. different thing will attract you. So because this man loves documentaries, and clearly he 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 chose he chose the documentaries that because now I hope this comes on net. I hope it 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 makes its way onto like a Netflix, because I will now definitely be looking out for. The Sitting, and my favorite film, which which for me was also the best film that I watched at the festival, was a South African film, and it was called Pusha Pressa Panda. Now, this is a film which is produced by Leila Swat and written and directed by Dick Rubin or Dick Devils Rubin. I'm not sure how to say. There's like a DVL DVLZ like um thing in between starring solo masejo and Lube and tapelo sebohodi essentially I'm, I'm going to read the synopsis as it was kind of presented taking place within one day the film follows a street youth mandisa as she struggles to obtain medication and sanitary pads for her sister who's under her care so she decides to then go out and find any way of making money so that she can buy these sanitary pads to be able to just come back to her sister that is the basic mission and she decides that the way that she's going to do that is to basically go and get recyclable goods that she can that she can then take to a recycling center to get money now her first obstacle um is actually the fact that she's mute 
So she's not able to actually talk. She's not able to communicate verbally. So a lot of the times that she's communicating, she's communicating basically just through eye contact and through what her face is able to give out to whoever is listening we get the sense that she's been a street truth her whole life so she doesn't even speak um sign language and i don't think there'd be anyone who would be able to get her sign sign language anyway that's her first obstacle the second obstacle is that she's a black woman well she's just she's a woman and she has to do all of these things by herself. So she's going, so she's left her sister at an abandoned building where they live. That's where she kind of takes her and she's now moving. The reason why I say that her obstacle is her being a woman is that this film kind of gives us a lot of different perspectives and it moves within these perspectives seamlessly in a way that, that is just vibrant. So she's now essentially just Within the beginning of the film, she's left her sister and now she's just walking to find out where it is that she's going to kind of get this money. And within the same building, below on, on a separate floor, there is Tapelo Sebohodi's character, who's also a street youth who's living within the same building. And this, this nigga's just li- literally gotten high. And the minute as Tolo's character walks into his line of vision, we see Tolo as a normal, a normal girl who's just walk, walking, minding her business. And through his perspective, she's literally a piece of meat. So they CGI'd or they, they superimposed a cow or a bull walking to kind of give us what his, his, his perspective of what, what, what it is that he's seeing is. So he goes and he approaches her and he says, you know, essentially, would you bid me? Or would you bid with me tonight? And she says, essentially, she doesn't say anything, but she kind of says, nah, nigga, I'm cool. And then she kind of goes about her merry way. After going about her merry way, she now decides to then go to the recycling area to kind of figure out all of these different things that she's, that she can kind of get to be able to recycle everything that she wants to do. Despite this story kind of sounding very mundane, the thing which I love about this film is that it has a way of making everything Shakespearean. So it brings drama and theatricality without being melodramatic. It brought a sense of theatricality and film language in a way that I haven't seen a lot of South African films which are tackling a topic such as this and bringing us into this world. So for example, when she's going to the garbage grounds where everything has been dumped and we're introduced to it like it is with a sweeping shot and the sweeping shot there's drones and everything and at the same time there is the most anthemic classical music you'll ever hear to kind of give it the gravitas that it is for these characters because this is where they're going to get their money this is where they're going to get what it is that that's going to kind of feed them and on top of like just introducing that with the grand scale even for the people in there because this is where they're going to make money and because this is this is Fight or flight survival for everyone involved in the story. The other great thing about this movie is that it's not just giving you story. Dick has a way of giving, bringing humanity to this specific situation. Dick being the director. The director. And, yeah. So as he's, as she's kind of looking there, she's, she came in there without gloves and this is the first time that she's doing it. And there's this guy who then literally just comes in. And it's kind of like he has like extra, you know, those handless gloves that you kind of just yes. cut. So he's there and he's he got c- the tools that are required for the job. He's got the tools that kind of re- required for the job. And he's he basically gives her this like little like tutorial of this is where all the good stuff is. Use this so that you can protect your hands. So even within this survival flight to flight instinct, whatever that's going on. 
there's always a consistent sense of humanity. I have a, a problem with the word humanity, but there's as much as there's the... So call it like um, a social cohesion or a social understanding. Yeah. In terms of just being able to kind of help her along. So once she's been helped along and she's been, t- she's been shown where all the valuable pieces of recyclable goods are, that guy goes on his merry way and now she's there and other people are also picking garbage. And then all of a sudden we just see all of anyone, everyone who's kind of within that vicinity scurry as like a gang of like four or five niggas are now these are the guys with the license now yes these are the guys who who they have the rights to to in the words of uh of uh our government they've got the mining rights yes to collect the garbage so and she doesn't see that all of these people have kind of scurried but again she was shown where the valuable goods were and now she's gone to the valuable goods but Evidently, the valuable goods were territorial, and this gang now wants her because this is this is our spot. No one touches this. And yeah. the thing is, it's not just about you must leave the stuff. They wanted to harm her. Within this, she's kind of like cornered, so she has to kind of give give up her trolley. But she's able to find like a little bit of recyclable goods that she can put into like a bag, and she runs and she runs across town, and it's this like massive chase sequence between street the the, 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 the gang and yeah, her, yeah. and she finds herself at the recycling thing. This film manages to give a level of grandeur to everything that it's happening. All of the ways that these characters speak was kind of poetic in terms of the writing you could feel that you were in you could feel what the intention of of, of these characters are the, the, it, the might, gu- it might feel small to you but it's everything to this other it's person. everything to them tando nube literally came out from a shakespearean play part of what i enjoyed about it was that in terms of just everything i'm describing what i'm saying versus seeing it is a completely different thing and so practically what you're saying is even describing it does not give it justice okay does not do justice to what it is that i'm talking about but so within this chase sequence we kind of get into just the other side of johannesburg the other side of because south africa is the most south africa is the most unequal country in the, in the world. world yeah it brings you into that perspective and it brings you into just how much it takes for a young woman to survive, specifically if she's a street youth. And also now she can't speak. Essentially, the rest of the movie is just following her journey and trying to survive this day where the only thing that she wanted to do was just help her sister out. So so if I was to summarize in a little bit of a... Is this a day in the life of the lowest common denominator? Because, you know... When we look at society, we always want to think about social safety nets and what's there for the youth, the disabled, and the women. Because we even have a ministry who's about the youth, the disabled, and the women. Yeah. And she's all three. She's all three. Yeah. And it just brings a, bring, brings us into how does, how does this, how do these people survive? Actually, do they survive? What is their life? How how do all of these things go from multiple perspectives? The the beginning scene actually gives, I think, a great thesis of the film. I can't tell when it's set, but let's just say it's set post. I actually don't know what time it's set in terms of just the visuals, but it's just saying we're in 
the past. So there's this car accident that's happened and there is two white cops who are speaking in Afrikaans and there's a black cop um, who's who's there and they're trying to figure out what it is that's happened. But these two white cops are speaking very thematically in terms of where power resides. This cop is essentially shat on by the one policeman. So let's say the policeman is a sergeant and he then has a conversation with the other black person and the conversation basically is just one of how power, whatever power I'm able to hold, even if I have someone above me, I am going to find a way. I'll exert that. To exert that power continuously and that all of us kind of live within the system. So I fuck you over. You're going to fuck that person over. Look, these girls over here, they're fucked over because their parents have now died. And the system is just one begets the other. Yes. Now, tying back to the thematic principle that you just given, it's now, again, taking us to whoever is at the bottom, at the bottom of the curve. of that power totem pole. Yes, yes, okay. And how they now navigate a day in the life, but give it the grandeur. Yeah, that a film, a great film by a great filmmaker can give. Okay, and that film made me laugh. That film made me try my best not to cry. Um, it took me through all of the emotions, and I say it was a fever dream. Just everything put together—the the the soundtracking, the scoring, the acting—it was all just the fact that there was flair in the filmmaking, and that flair was not only to about telling the story, but giving a full-on experience. The only thing which was a question mark for me is just the length of it because it's exactly an hour long, but you don't feel the hour; you feel like a full story was told, and. Yeah, that is that was my favorite film from the Durban International Film Festival. Um, if it comes out anywhere else, I'm definitely going to be watching it. Because I feel just like you felt before, we had that little power problem. I I really did want to watch it, but unfortunately, uh, I was unable to. So I'm really looking forward to when it does come out. Now to wrap our conversation, what from the entire festival? What were your main takeaways? Having virtually attended the Durban International Film Festival. Number one, it was a very interesting experience. I felt as a filmmaker attending this festival, it was an extremely um, enjoyable experience. I learned a lot. I can't stress how much I learned from all those workshops and I definitely enjoyed watching, uh, watching the films. I really wish I had more time, but I guess it's the unfortunate part of if you attend the film festival physically, like if you're there, then you're there. You know, you have to participate. But when you're doing it virtually, you have to make time during the day to watch the film. So watching it virtually, at least I, the good thing is we're at least able to. But what it left me with is that I would actually like to attend that specific Durban Film Festival in person. There was a lot of people within just the workshops who were doing the Q&As who I would have loved to have met because we were asking very similar questions. We had very similar interests. So I would like an opportunity to go there in person. And that's what I really got from um, this virtual experience. Also adding on to that, the other thing which I I was very pleased to see was just how much more space 
I was finding in terms of just uh, women filmmakers behind the scenes because majority of the films which I've spoken about today were either produced or directed by women so whether we're talking about Karabole Deja with What Did You Dream Five Tiger which I'm going to be talking about in a, a separate episode even Lindella and the Lockdown was produced and directed so I know Stray was definitely produced by by a, a lady as well Shina was produced so I don't want to say it's more more so that there are more women filmmakers out there but the fact that there are so many being represented here is kind of a good thing because the types of stories which they're bringing to it and the way that they're going about directing brings a completely different type of nuance than other types of films so the more diversity and representations that we kind of get to see the better it kind of feels in terms of the scope of storytelling that we can get yeah we get to experience something really different the setting with which we kind of get to see it because what did you dream again in terms of main plot was a very plotless film but the perspective it gave and how it kind of got to that perspective was something which I found quite refreshing. And I wasn't going in with the intention of saying, oh, I'm only watching or I'm going to particularly watch women-made films. But now as I'm watching the film and I'm seeing the producer or the director, I'm like, oh. And just to add to that, the one thing which we normally don't understand about representation, or at least it's not made obvious to us, is that when somebody else tells the story, sometimes it feels like pandering. Or it feels like somebody's just lecturing you. So if if it's a white guy or a man giving the story, it seems like it's a lecture. Like, yo, you need to care about this. But then once has experienced it or has slightly more understanding of the story, can immerse us in that world in a way that doesn't feel like, um, yo, here's a lecture. I'm going to give a separate perspective because sometimes, because yeah. the thing is, and I'm so, not saying you can't tell somebody else's story. That's no, not no, what no, I'm no, saying. no, no, no. So sometimes also for me, and I've experienced this quite a bit recently, is that sometimes you don't know what you're missing. Because the thing is, you can say that it can sound like pandering, right. but you do not know that it's pandering until you've gotten a specific different perspective. If I do not know what this specific black woman's perspective is on this issue and all oh, I've seen, I would I know not know saying. that it's pandering. I would not know that it's actually not a full, fully nuanced take on that position because kind of saying that then kind of gives us the understanding or the all-knowing nature that we know that this is right and this is wrong. But sometimes this is good and then you get a different perspective and you're like, oh, there's oh, a lot that I didn't know. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of information. Yes, yes. So for me, it, it, it lies more within the, in, the new information or the newer perspectives, which I'm kind of getting because stories are stories. Whoever tells them, even, even between me and you, Yes. If I were to give you a story and you were to tell this tell the story and I tell the story, it's going to it's going to have two completely different perspectives. But they're just perspectives which haven't been given as much. So now that we get more of them, we kind of get to see where those nuances lie. And sometimes those nuances don't even lie in the same place. No, no, I fully understand because I mean just me and you, we literally have the same background in every way, shape and form. But giving the same story, it is just going to be completely different. As I'm pretty sure you've already heard us giving stories about these films yes. within this episode. That is our kind of understanding of how the Durban International Film Festival took place. I hope you have enjoyed this talk. Thank you so much for listening. If you've listened to both of these episodes, do you have any final words that you'd like to give our listeners? 
first i'm gonna say um thank you for having me and um clearly i don't get in front of the mic enough because i decided to talk for two hours <laughs> you had a lot to get off your chest <laughs> and he has his own podcast that he's just neglecting i'm just i'm just putting that out there he has this he has, is this is true um i'm going to i'm going to have to work on my neglect issues but yes the first thing i want to say is thank you for having me i'm so glad to be part of the podcast yes i'm generally in the background but it's nice to be in the foreground and i hope i was able to just give anyone just at least an excuse to try something new and to just attend a virtual film festival they're happening especially when they're free guys you, you don't know what you're going to get but trust the more you dig the you'll find greatness so i hope that this gives you further incentive to check out the next film festival i hope you have a good rest of your day night evening whenever you're listening to this and that has been this special episode the diff edition of all that jazz